0: You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, It is a pleasure to be here with my colleague, Gukhisa Ahmadi and Wajma Faroo, who has worked on local peacebuilding by engaging in mobilizing local peacebuilders. Um, before we jump into the discussion, I would like to give some brief background on the current situation in Afghanistan. Since the fall of Afghanistan to the Taliban on August 15th, a lot has changed, especially for Afghan women and their rights. Activists and peace builders are in one of the most challenging environments. Um, they have been continuously suppressed by the Taliban. Many have disappeared and have been abducted by the Taliban. Freedom of speech is limited for everyone, especially activists. Um, With the exception of one or two sectors, women are absent from the workforce, leaving thousands of women unable to feed their children and family, and many have been forced to start begging on the streets. Um, Women have been completely removed removed from the government and from decision-making positions. Um, A country that that was already one of the poorest countries in the world um, cannot afford excluding half of its population. on January 18th, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights in an open debate at the UN Security Council on Women, Peace, and Security said the situation that now faces women human rights defenders and prospects for women's full participation in shaping and building peace are vastly worse. And this reality resonates a lot with many human rights um, and women's rights defenders and peace activists who have been targeted by the Taliban uh, in the last couple of months in Afghanistan. So I'd like to pose a question here um, to both Belkis and Wajma. Tell us about the challenges that activists and peacebuilders are facing in Afghanistan, and ways those challenges should be or could be addressed. Whose responsibility is it to ensure peacebuilders and civil society actors are protected and have a space, a safe space to operate in? We'll start with you, Belkis.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Asma. It's good to be here and also being with Wajma on this. Uh, Uh, Twitter space, Um, I think in order to put things into perspective I would like to start with how things uh, for women have changed since August 15. Before we dive into that I would like to list um, the gains that Afghan women and girls um, have uh, achieved in the past 20-21 years or so. Uh, The list of gains is long and I don't think we have enough time to even list all of them. Um, But to me, personally, women's presence in all sectors and at all levels in government, private sector, and in non-governmental organization, was an indication that the country was embracing, embracing positive change in a conservative and patriarchal society. It also was an important lesson to the regional and global community that when opportunities are provided to women and girls, they turn those into tangible results. It's important to note that behind and beside every successful woman in Afghanistan was and is a father, a brother, son, and husband. This is an area that gets very little attention. that uh, men play a very important role in women's um, uh, gains and achievements and so on. So we have numerous examples of traditional men donating their farms and land for schools, men voting for women as their representatives. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, Weshma, but uh, at one point, I think there were 68,000 women lecturers throughout the country and um, around 8,000 in the security sector, um, over 1,000 in the justice and law enforcement sectors. So basically women have served as cabinet members and diplomats. Uh, They have taken a very active role in lawmaking processes. They were active in science and technology and job creation and so on. Another area where... Uh, in my view, women have played a very important role, was in peacebuilding. A role, again, that has been underestimated and unrecognized by and by many Afghan politicians and the uh, international community. I, I'm glad Wajma is here with us um, because she has worked with uh, peacebuilders throughout the country and she also has experience in the uh, security sector as well, Um if it's okay with you, uh, Asma, um, it would be good to hear from Wajma about uh, her experience working with men and women at grassroots levels on peace building and on security matters.
2: Yes, absolutely. Wajma, John, please go ahead. Thank you, everyone. Um, it's, it's a great pleasure to be with you discussing such an important issue about Afghanistan and and the uh, participation of women in peace building. But it's important to also see what road we are actually uh, put behind in all these 20 years. And I think one of the, uh, as you said, Bilqis, like we could go on and on about some of the major gains that women had actually achieved in the past Uh, 20 years. And in my view, they have not, yes, we have lost the spaces, uh, those spaces which had been created if it was political space, you know, participation, women's role in the economy, women's role in the in the public sector and the private sector, as well as civil society and media. We have lost those spaces. But what's so important is that despite the fact that the spaces are lost, the hope that this country's women actually will completely be vanished uh, is, is is not there. It means that there is a lot of hope that um, this situation and the younger generation of women who are, you know, working in different ways, who are trying to kind of assert themselves in different forms, they will not give up. And that that's what gives me the hope that things will start will continue changing for afghanistan but it's also important to see what we have done as you mentioned filcase in terms of some of those conventional spaces that we had created for women which was very much the political spaces like women in the parliament women in the um, you know women as ambassadors ministers you know in the in the government but also many many um, uh, non-conventional spaces, and that's where, like, my focus has been over the years, which is the security sector. Uh, you know, like on August 15, we had around actually 10,000 women in the police, and this included the civilian women, women lawyers, actually in the police, for example, within the security sector. We had over 2,000 women who were in the um, afghan national army for example uh, you know performing different um, roles in terms of support in terms of of course some of them were in the, the special forces uh, but some many many of them were actually playing major roles in communication support and and uh, human resources finance and many other support roles so that is also a critical uh, you know mass that actually had been created and in those for me what i actually learned over the past 20 years working with with, uh, with afghan women was that while we had A lot of, uh, you know, uh, maybe limelight, a lot of spotlight on what happened in Kabul. But there was a lot of work that actually happened in the provinces, you know, going beyond Kabul, identifying women. For example, the group of women that I'm working currently, you know, we have uh, sessions for them. Uh, We have started these self-help groups where a lot of women and young girls actually come and join. And, and I have to say that sessions which are for 20 women, you know, we get 50 women. And we, my colleagues, feel so bad to actually tell them, I'm sorry, this is only for 20 people. We cannot have more than 20 people. Despite the fact that the restrictions have increased on them, despite the fact that, like, there is a life-threatening situation for many, many women. So, uh, this what we hear, yes, there is a lot of bleak reality about Afghanistan, we, what we, uh, about the situation of women, women's uh, access to government buildings have been restricted, women's access. And the most important aspect is the women's mobility, right, which has been taken away. But what I still hear, that, that hope, that pursuit for freedom in Afghanistan has not died, Belkis. and that's what makes me keep going.
0: Thank you both. Um, those are very important points. And I know that uh, these gains are very difficult at the moment with the situation uh, in Afghanistan to preserve, uh, considering the situation in Afghanistan. But um, I, I want to mention a couple of things, a couple of points, um, and, and then I can get to the question about how can we, what are some ways we can make sure that some of these gains are protected? Um, and for example, in northeastern zone of the country, which consists of the provinces Badakhshan Tahar, Kunduz, and Barlan, the number of female media workers is reduced from 194 to 1. And in early 2021, there were thousands of students, male, female, throughout the country participating in peacebuilding and conflict resolutions, uh, informal settings, learning and practicing peacebuilding skills. And to my knowledge, and based on the informal reports that we have received, um, all of those are, all of that is suspended, and I know that Rukhis, you and wajma you as well, uh, you spoke about the gains of the twenty years in multiple sectors, which are all very, very important. But to me, as a as a youth activist, the young generation's passion and commitment in making peace possible stands out, and in my view, educating and equipping the young generation of Afghans with skills to manage conflict and prevent it from escalating to violence is one of the most important factors in building a sustainable and long-term peace. So, um, Wajmajan, do you think any of these gains can be protected? Um, Do you think the Taliban understand the significance of these gains in Afghanistan's overall development and future? And then we can get to the question about the role of education in peace building. So if you'd like to uh, start with that. Sure.
2: So, see, right now, things are very bleak what has happened in the past six months, for example, we just see reverse, right? Women's, where the girls have not been able to go to school, for example, the secondary school, or for example, uh, you know, the working uh, uh, options have been taken away from women and girls and uh, businesses uh, that were run by women. They have been closed, the media, um, you know, uh, outlets that were run by women, female journalists. So when you look at the past six months, Like people would tell me that, okay, things are are over for Afghan women, you just cannot build this anymore. But at the same time, what I'm also kind of, you know, um, focusing on is that what is the solution? Uh, One is that yes we have a very difficult situation for women and girls, but also a very difficult situation for Afghanistan. So seeing situation of women or conditions of women and girls in bubbles is a major mistake we have done in the past years. Just giving women these empowerment projects and things will start changing. Just give girls these, you know, specific special programs and things will start changing. That is a major mistake we have done in the past 20 years. What I believe is, is that the situation of afghan women will start changing if the overall conditions for afghans change as a, as as you know as a country so right now um, you know the crisis for example the, the humanitarian crisis that over 24 million of the population are facing for example you know 5 million children are being malnourished or or, or, or you know what I hear that over a million children are actually at a very, very um, grave situation where they might actually face uh, death very soon. And, and at the same time, you know, before August 15, I state that 75% of its budget came from aid. So the overall situation in Afghanistan needs to, needs to start changing. And that would only happen if we have, you know, at, a stable state, right? An administration, a government. And I. because I work uh, with a lot of people beyond Kabul, what I hear from so many women is that, and um, in, in, uh, families and men, is that we need a strong government in place. And that government that can actually provide services to people, that can provide some stability to people. Because remember, Afghanistan has been in, in civil war in the past, you know, 30, 40 years of its life, where... People' life and uh, the anarchy that was so much evident in our lives, and things were worse than actually uh, you know we could imagine. And then that gave rise to the to the Taliban coming into power. We we have we have the Taliban because we have the civil war of the uh, local warlords, the Mujahideen, and all of those um, power groups that we had in different parts of the country. So uh, we have to remember that we need a stable state. We need a stable government that actually provides services to people and how is that possible uh, and and at the same time what i also see that we you know like supporting any military intervention or that any military um, you know option is not there anymore thankfully the world uh, is also very much tired of continuously investing in Afghanistan. So we have to look at finding solutions internally inside Afghanistan. One of the solutions that I've been, You know, advocating for is a political solution. The Taliban need to accept that there are different groups, social, political groups in Afghanistan that need to be part of the government, and that's uh, and uh, the Taliban need to accept that today's Afghanistan, the women, the girls who have been educated in the past twenty years, they are not the same people who lived under the nineties, right? They cannot be suppressed. Yes, you have the power. The Taliban have the power. They can continue killing some of them and many of them and they can actually suppress them but this would only work for some times. this would not sustain so what would happen is that then there would be another wave of militarized um, resistance that might actually be very much syria type situation in afghanistan so what i'm so worried about this the the overall situation in afghanistan is that we need to find political solutions and that political solutions comes from negotiation it comes from dialogue it comes from reciprocity uh, so if there is a dialogue with the taliban and the, uh, the authorities they are de facto authorities by the international community who who have you know many other competing priorities as for example, you see other wars coming up, other conflicts coming up, other priorities. So Afghanistan continues to be forgotten. The women of Afghanistan continues to be forgotten for all these countries because they have they say that we have done this for 20 years, nothing changed. So now we need to find another success story that shows we haven't failed. So for that as well, uh, it's, it's very important to find solutions inside Afghanistan. So coming back to your question in terms of how do we preserve these gains? These gains ca- cannot be preserved in ghetto and bubbles. These gains can only be uh, you know, supported uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in a whole um, of government in a more kind of, you know, um, uh, broad based government that uh, should include the Taliban, that should include, you know, women, that should include other ethnic groups in Afghanistan, that should group include, you know, a sect, other sects, for example that that we have in the country so that people find some spaces because that is the the, the cracks of any society that can actually have a stability because if you do not have stability girls education women's access to work women's access to you know protection all of that can actually vanish overnight and so we that's something that i'm very much and this is part of the peace building work that that's also very much central to the peace building work and what i would like to conclude here is that and the the we need the uh, you know uh, the avon government uh, sorry the avon people to also you know form political alliances inside afghanistan despite the fact that it's very very difficult but i also know that there's a lot of efforts by so many different people that are internally trying to you know work locally for example in some provinces where the girls schools were open this was because people were able to actually influence so a direct negotiation, direct dialogue with the Taliban authorities in their localities actually work in some places. So that is one way, but also we need international community because see, all these years, we use the international mechanisms, right? The, the Security Council resolutions, we used CEDAW and other international human rights mechanisms. If they do not address the needs of, of women in Afghanistan, How can they address the needs of women in in, in Ukraine? How can it address the needs of women in Colombia or somewhere else in the West? So all of these international mechanisms need to have some teeth, need to have some weight in order to start changing the the, the situation of girls and women on the ground. So that's also, I very much count on the international human rights mechanisms. I look forward to the international human rights, you know, the the special rapporteur for Afghanistan, Richard Bennett, is a very uh, you know longtime human rights activist for so many years so I have hopes that maybe uh, that would actually start changing things for Afghanistan if because if we fall into the trap of another civil unrest and civil war in Afghanistan things will actually get worse for women and we will forget about all these gains thank you Asmajan
0: thank you John. absolutely and I hope and wish the same but um, please John please go ahead
1: Uh, Thank you. Um, I think the resiliency of Afghan women is a source of hope and encouragement for all of us who are working for um, uh, peace building and human rights and women's rights. So that's something I think we all agree on and we should recognize. Uh, Afghan women are courageous. They have... uh, they have carried the weight of um, war, violence, and conflict for so long. And they deserve to be treated with respect and with dignity. And their full agency must be uh, recognized. Um, Asma, you mentioned the number of journalists um, that has gone down significantly in the province, as you just mentioned, and that's a cause for concern that needs to be corrected. Um, Afghanistan needs uh, women journalists and uh, free media. Um, Wajma mentioned uh, the importance of a stable state, which I agree with her, but I also think... um, Um, a stable state and government, but there are other things that has to accompany a stable government, and that's a government that's responsive and accountable to its people. Um, That stability and development uh, in Afghanistan and a prosperous Afghanistan is the key to the stability uh, of the region. So I wanted to mention that first, before I get to the question of how do we preserve the gains? Uh, On top of what Wajma said, in my view, preserving the gains and expanding on them requires political will, a will that Taliban are yet to express or commit to. Although the Taliban have promised to non-Afghan donors and diplomats um, that uh, they will allow women to work, uh, but we will believe it when we see it. Um, Sometimes it feels that the Taliban make it sound like they are doing the world a huge favor by allowing girls to go to school or women to go to work. The right to work, education, Uh, freedom of movement, access to services and resources, and equal participation in social, political, cultural, and economic affairs of their country. They're all interrelated. Uh, You cannot separate one from another. For example, the issue of education. Uh, It's a welcoming news that um, the Taliban have finally uh, recognized the importance of girls' education, but you cannot separate education from right to work, from an enabling environment, from freedom of movement, and so on. Um, The basic rights that Afghan men and women are entitled to are rights that are enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, in the UN Charter, the Cairo Declaration of Human Rights, and in the constitutions of countries Um, that are governed through uh, democratic processes and these are the rights granted in Islam so it's not a favor that the Taliban are doing Um, we should always um, bring uh, women to the table to dialogues and policy decisions Um, I would like to recognize Secretary Blinken's um, decision to create a position um, and to elevate the plight of uh, Afghan women's situation, women's rights, girls' rights and human rights by appointing um, Special Envoy Rina Amiri. Uh, To me, that's an indication um, that the world and the U.S. recognizes the importance of uh, full-time uh, dedication and commitment to the situation of women and girls in Afghanistan. And I, I hope that the rest of the international community follows this example and takes further initiatives towards protecting and promoting Afghan women um, women's rights. Um, Protection and promotion of women's rights is a responsibility that falls on all of us, men, women, Afghan and non-Afghan. I know we have called on Taliban so many times and we call on international community to um, uh, step in and uh, protect uh, women's rights, but Afghan men in particular have a moral responsibility to Protect and promote women's rights. Um, I think um, Afghan girls, Afghan, our daughters and granddaughters uh, deserve to exercise their God given, law guaranteed rights without fear. By assuming uh, power and ruling the country, um, here, uh, I'm, I, I don't want to say governing the country because. With governing comes a lot of responsibility, accountability, which I, unfortunately I don't see now in Afghanistan. The Taliban have accepted the responsibility to provide safety and security to those living in Afghanistan. Um, and that includes more than um, 50% of the population, women and girls, need to be supported, protected, and um their, uh, they, they must have enabling environment to study, to work, and flourish, and uh, develop their potentials. Uh, so the responsibility of preserving and expanding the gains uh, rests on, on everyone who has a stake in Afghanistan. Uh, the people, women themselves, Afghan men, politicians international community and the uh, de facto authorities. Um, that's Taliban. Thank you.
0: Thank you, John um, and John. Thank you both. Those were very important points. I, I as um, much,
2: If, if yes. you allow me, I just yes. respond a little bit in terms of the role of the, of the international community. Please um, go ahead. Thank you. Um, so sometimes I wonder if there is something called international community because what has been going on in Afghanistan, uh, yes, the U.S. role uh, as a leading role in Afghanistan and then the European countries, NATO and other, um, you know, allies. And they haven't done, you know, a a kind of... We have not had a lot of instances where they would have uh, responded to Afghanistan in a very collective manner. For example, when you compare uh, to how the world, uh, the international community is responding to the conflict in Ukraine, um, you can see how they have actually uh, kind of neglected uh, Afghanistan. So that's where I'm a bit, uh, you know, hesitant in terms of how much the international community or how much reliance on the international community would help Afghanistan because, Yes, the fatigue is there, the past 20 years of their, the, the feeling that, oh, we tried very hard, things didn't work, we failed, now we find another success story. But at the same time, what what is also critical is that the, the, the political relevance of Afghanistan. So um, even like you see international human rights mechanisms, like uh, ICC, the International uh, Criminal Court, um, is... responded to what's what's happening in Ukraine within seven days, while it took Afghanistan 20 years and we do not even have and a, a sort of, you know, a formal investigation in Afghanistan by ICC, um, despite the fact that so much of war crimes have happened in Afghanistan. So I'm I'm also cautious um, about the political relevance of Afghanistan to the international community. Like you saw that when the the for example, the, the U.S. president had the. Prison uh, speech. You did not hear a single time about Afghanistan, Why the fact that forty million people are are at at risk in in, in the country. So what's also happening is that uh, we, I, I, I'm. That's why I focus more on the. Uh, ...inside solutions that need to happen inside Afghanistan... ...because we do not have a lot of hopes uh, about the international community. But at the same time, what I'm actually looking for is that... ...you know, the international human rights mechanisms... ...that if these mechanisms are not responding to Afghanistan, because remember the six months, you hardly find any human rights monitoring by, um, uh, report actually, by the UN or other agencies, human rights organizations about what's going on in Afghanistan. If, If you find something, it's very much, you know, like Around Kabul, where they have better access, you do, you hardly find anything beyond beyond Kabul, and even uh, you know critical issues do not come. So what has been going on in the past six months and the reaction of the international community kind of makes me a bit worried. That's why it's important to focus on solutions inside the country as well, because. The, and, and also, I would like to talk about the importance of negotiations or, and continued engagement by the international, um, you know, by different countries. So it's not enough that, you know, a, a foreign delegation comes and visits Afghanistan, all men, meeting men, and then they go back. And we need, you know, a longer term um, talks a process. Uh, just the way, for example, the withdrawal or the Doha deal was negotiated. The US negotiated that deal over two years. They talked with the Taliban like continuously for years. Why can't the same be done in in terms of you know uh, identifying or, or 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 addressing the challenges that Afghans and um, the, the people of Afghanistan and women of Afghanistan are facing? So I do not see any of the countries having an active negotiation. Uh, with the with the um, uh, with Afghanistan as a whole as a country and then um, with the Taliban as a de facto authority. So that's also something that I think it's critical in terms when we are talking about solution that they need to have a longer term, uh, you know, negotiation and dialogue and and identify the leverages. For example, if if the Taliban are asking for you know recognition or they are asking for aid money or they are asking for relationships, because I've been hearing that you know Taliban are saying we want better relations with US with uh, with other countries so if, if they are asking for these there there is a simple negotiation tool that reciprocity okay this is what you're asking this is what I'm asking for so how can we actually work together and, and re- read some, reach to some solutions this is also very critical that I have not seen so far from any of the members of the international community despite the fact that there are special um, you know um, special and Voice And I hope that the U.S. special envoy would actually put more efforts into strategizing, uh, you know, direct negotiations with the Taliban and and, and influencing with the leverages that they have, you know, the the money that has been uh, the assets that have been frozen, the aid that that needs to come to Afghanistan or, for example, relationships, everything. So there's a lot of leverage that the West and the international community can actually utilize in Afghanistan. Thank you. Thank you, Vajmajan.
0: Um, Christian, would you like to um, give a response to that?
1: Um, I do, actually. Uh, well, first of all, my sympathy with the people of Ukraine. Um, it's terrible what's happening there. And uh, I hope the international community um, help Ukrainian people in um, protecting their southern state. Um, so the issue of double... Uh, in a way, double standard that Wojma mentioned has been a cause for concern for many, many years. Um, I don't think international community in many cases have treated uh, Afghan people as equal partners. Um, So that needs to be changed. Um, In the think tank uh, and practitioners field, we always talk about lessons learned. And it has been used so much that it has lost its meaning. I think, listen, how, how much lesson can one learn? So once you learn it, what do you do with it? Uh, there has been a lot of mistakes by many stakeholders, which requires a deep dive um, uh, analysis and assessment. And once we learn from those Mistakes of the past. I think uh, there has to be uh, mechanisms in place to uh, basically uh, act upon those uh, mistakes made and lessons learned. Um, it's it's troubling that when the Taliban uh, issues statements saying the Islamic Emirate, the so-called Islamic Emirate, well allow girls to go to school from this age to that age or will allow women to do this and that Uh, that statement that the way that they look at women is questionable, it's degrading and uh, it basically uh, implies that women cannot decide for themselves, it's men who have to decide for women uh, what, to, what women should wear, wh- where women should work and how they should work and so on. So that is really troubling. And for those who are listening here um, and others who are not here, but they have um, some relationship with the Taliban, um, I think they should remind Taliban over and over that women have their own agency, Um, they have to be included in decisions, especially in decisions that affect their own lives, their bodies, their uh, future. Um, I I I wanted to say that, uh, Asma, before we go to the next question.
0: Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Bokhis John. And um, I know that you touched briefly on the topic of education. And I know that uh, and everyone here knows, including the listeners, that the uh, girls above elementary school have not been allowed to go back to school since August 15th. And the Taliban have said that multiple times that the schools will open um, and that uh, in the spring, which is in a couple of days actually. Um, but I, I do want to discuss the importance of the ed- education curriculum and the quality of education and who will, be deciding, uh, who will be deciding that and whether that will remain the same or change or be updated and, and how, can, how does that impact uh, the mindset of the next generation, uh, the, the, ty- the kind of generation that will be ruling Afghanistan in the next uh, couple of years. Um, and the education that they receive plays a very, very important role uh, on that. So if you or Rajmajan would like to give a response to that, uh, please go ahead.
2: Sure. I think, uh, you know, in terms of education, uh, wh- of course, yes, the, the girls have been deprived of the right to education. And at the same time, the, the secondary education and at the same time, and um, the teachers, for example, you know, the plight of the teachers that hope that, that have not been paid uh, so if you do not have a teacher, even in even boys' schools, what I hear, you know, on the ground that even boys' schools who had female teachers now they they do not have access to education. But at the same time, you know, my other concern you shared is in terms of the 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 curricula. So one is that uh, you know we already the fact that I, I simply find it hard to understand that afghanistan has always been an uh, an islamic country right so why are we talking about islamic um, you know curricula but then because the curricula we have is already you know developed by by muslims but no and um, what are we here that the taliban uh, have actually uh, you know been started working on the curricula and and kind of identified you know a, a number of mullahs and and just to be a mullah, it doesn't make you an educated person. Yes, you might actually have... We all went... Uh, like, I went to, to the mosque when I was a child, and I learned qaidi Baghdad, yeah, like many other Afghans. And that's, you know, a lot of basic um, education that you get in the mosque. So if a a mosque, if a mullah has not actually been educated, has not gone to school, has not gone to, uh, has not actually learned writing and reading and understanding tafsir and all of that, then how can you expect that they would be able to provide these, uh, uh, you know, and the... And um, the the education that's needed. So that's a, of course is a major concern. There is a huge fear of if, for example, if women are not able. Or are not allowed to work, then female teachers, you know, we would not have female teachers. And right now, for example, the challenge that Kabul University is facing, a lot of women um, actually have been, uh, you know, a lot of female teachers have 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 been, um, you know, left or at the same time are living in hiding or they 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 have not been paid for the past, you know, six months. And all of that is actually making making it very hard. So it's not just about you know allowing education. Yes, they have been deprived of the right but it's a very complicated you know issue and, and 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 the taliban need to look at other islamic countries yes there could be segregation we had separate schools like girls studied in different timing boys studied in different timings we can have the segregation and, you know we can have you know those rules but then it, it's, it, 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 we need to look at what other Islamic countries like Taliban have lived, their leaders have lived in Doha, Qatar for years. So they, that should actually give them some ideas on um, that they can actually maybe uh, find ways to, to create, you know, enabling environment for girls to continue education. But it's not very simple about just the right to education. It's, it's, it's all of these encompassing elements. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Wajmajan. Yes, absolutely. Um, I actually went to school in Afghanistan, and as you said, you know, we have a girls' school separate, and uh, the teachers are mostly female, and it's, in every way, it's, uh, if, you, if you follow the basic rules of Islam, it's an Islamic system, and that's how it was until uh, even the Taliban took over. Um, so, Birkisjan, would you like to speak about that? I just want to highlight what
1: Roshma said about the quality of education. Um, majority of, and this is not only for girls, for boys as well. We know that um, in the education sector, we have many, many professional, highly experienced male and female teachers. So to um, restrict women or female teachers to only teach girls and male teachers to teach boys, we are we are going to see um, the quality of education going down as well. Um, I think that needs to be uh, carefully uh, reviewed by the Taliban. And in order to review that, the Taliban also need to include women and uh, Afghans from different backgrounds and sectors to review the curriculum. I mean, as Wajma said, the curriculum is already according to Islam, according to Sharia. In fact, the constitution of the country is according to uh, Sharia. So, uh, I I fail to comprehend the excuses that the Taliban keep bringing up about so many things that are already according to Islam and they want to um, re, uh, review that, um, revise that according to Islam. Uh, it will be interesting to see which version of uh, Sharia will be included in the... Revised curriculum. And uh, this is... uh, I want to mention the importance of education and knowledge in Islam. Um, The first verse of um, the Quran says, Read. Read means education. Read means acquiring knowledge. So by Taliban imposing restrictions on girls' access to education... And women's access to higher education, they are basically intruding on um, uh, religious obligation that Muslims have. All Muslims are obligated to acquire knowledge. And how do you acquire knowledge? You have to be educated and you have to have the critical thinking to ask questions, informed questions and uh, contribute in the uh, development of your country. So Taliban taking that right away from women and girls is doing a huge disfavor to the religion that they claim to be promoting. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Belkis. I'd just like to interrupt for a second because we've received some questions and comments from the audience. Uh, I know we have to wrap up soon, but I thought that we could get to perhaps one or two of these um, Mario asked, what are the intricacies that shape the role of women professionally and in educational spaces now that governmental structures have changed in Afghanistan? All of you have touched on this in one way or another, but I thought I would put it out there in case you have another thought on that topic. And then we have uh, one other comment as well that I can get to in just a second.
0: Would you like to go ahead? Okay, I
1: can I can go. Um, I think Ovashmajan is uh, on mute. Um, okay, so the question was: Professionally and in education. Now, I well, first of all, uh, it's important to recognize that uh, civil society in Afghanistan has played a vital and very important role in delivering services from education, health, and so on. But civil society does not replace uh, a government. Taliban claim to be in charge of the government, so they need to open up, be inclusive, give every Afghan people the right to question their decisions and to be included in the decision-making processes. Um, there are thousands and thousands of women throughout the country who are civil servants. These women need to be allowed to go back to work and earn an income in a dignified way. Asma mentioned earlier, uh, Asma, you mentioned that uh, many women have been reduced to beggars on the street. On the streets of the cities uh, throughout the country, that is—that's horrifying. No one should be forced to undergo that level of uh, humiliation that Afghan women are going through. And I also believe that there are some who have um, some level of communication and understanding with the Taliban who can um, bring them. Um, to understand the importance of women's uh, contribution in the development of the country and also the importance of education and quality education, not only elementary or secondary. That includes uh, high school level. It also includes advanced education um, that has to be recognized and, um, by law. There has to be laws in fact, in my, in my view, I think there should be laws to punish those who prevent girls and women to go to school and um, to exercise their rights. Wajma, you wanted to say something, too? Uh,
2: yeah, you know, like, uh, so a practical example, like I... Uh, uh, my experience like i went to madrasa in pakistan and it, our madrasa was post part of a women organization that was ra- run by you know women leaders and um, and we had a lot of muslim countries uh, who had actually funded our our school our educa- we had courses for girls and it was all very much specifically for women and we learned for example islamic laws as well as general education what also I learned that so many, you know, women that came from Malaysia, uh, you know, Egypt, many other Muslim countries, um, what they were telling us that, you know, even in, with their, uh, you know, countries in their, um, uh, you know, um, uh, societies, there are, uh, you know, religious uh, sentiments that, that, are, that might be similar to, you know, what the Taliban have learned in their ways of life. And they have, you know, these countries, they started having, you know, specific girls only, uh, you know, women only organizations, women only colleges, women only um, institutions. And that's how they started integrating, you know, into the larger society, which, of course, many people find it problematic. But what I'm trying to say is that there are ways that, you know, because what I've heard from some of the Taliban members uh, saying that, you know, we have built our forces based on a very rigid, you know, understanding of of Sharia that women are, are have to be kept very much contained. So now that we open up, we would have a lot of internal kind of backlash, which is. Um, very much, uh, you know, strange to understand, but they can actually find out ways and solutions where you know specific uh, women-only organizations, women-only, you know, colleges, women-only institutions, and finding out ways that the segregation uh, that they have, uh, you know, suggested in some, for example, I know many organizations are active in in Kabul right now with segregating spaces. Maybe that is one solution for now. For example, to find out until the Taliban find out that some sort of you know other. Their solutions, but completely closing the space of education for women is, is going to be disastrous. On August 15, we had at least 40% of the workforce comprised of women, which was 30% in the civil service, but also we had you know 10% from the informal sector. So this is also an economic burden. If you take away the role of 50% of the society and not actually using their powers, their force in the economy, this is also going to be very disastrous, especially like the country has war widows. Millions of women are war widows. What do we do with that? And they are responsible to feed their children. Many women who came to the police, for example... I remember they were war widows. What what do they do? How do they feed their children? So in order to respond to the, this continuous poverty, the Taliban need to be creative and find out different, you know, um, solutions as well. Like that, yes, we, we actually, we can continue being Muslims, but we can continue also getting education. And as Bilqis, you said, they, they, there is literally nothing in the religion. And that's why I was talking earlier that, you know, many, if you are not educated, in despite the fact that you might be a mullah, that does not make you, uh, you know, an, an Islamic, um, you know, a, a, a law person or somebody who understands Islam, because you have to be educated to understand your religion.
0: Thanks, Wajramadran. Just to give a final uh, response to this question, um, I think... If women are not allowed to attend elementary school, they can't attend middle school. If they can't attend middle school, they can't attend high school. If they don't attend high school, they can't attend university, and that prevents them from getting any job or becoming involved in any sector of the society. So again, my emphasis on education and the quality of education and how important it is that girls go back to education, that they're allowed to get a quality education so that they can take part in different parts of the society because it starts at a very low level from high school, from middle school, from elementary school. Um, so just just noting that, because uh, I know that the education topic is uh, being discussed everywhere, but um, highlighting the importance of the quality of it as well. Asma, do we have time for one more intervention? Uh, I think we do,
1: just a few,
2: okay. Okay. few minutes.
1: Okay, so a few things from my side. Um, Afghanistan belongs to all Afghans, men, women, youth, children, Taliban who are now in Afghanistan, and non-Taliban. So one group cannot claim to be representative of the entire country, male and female, with different backgrounds, ideologies, and so on. That's something the Taliban should come into realization, that the country belongs to all Afghans and they all have to have a say in the future of their government and in the future of their country. Uh, Message to the international community, especially to the international media, is that Afghans are peace-loving people. Do not judge the entire population by the behavior an act of one segment of the country. I was reading the Taliban's uh, statement regarding the Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, I was pleasantly surprised that the Taliban called on all parties to resolve their differences to dialogue and peaceful means and negotiation. I think Taliban should walk the talk and perhaps they should start by negotiating, including um, men and women outside of their own circle in the decisions that, um, that affects Afghans and the country. And also talk to women. Do not talk about them with the international, what you would and you would, you would not do or not allow or allow. Talk to women, listen to them. And include them in decisions that affect the future of the country. Thank you.
0: Thank
2: you. I, I would very much like to thank everyone in the group uh, in the in the space who have who tolerated and and was with us in this one hour. And some of these people, I very much you know acknowledge these women, like for example, Asilo Palwasha and many other colleagues who are there. Like we have. We have had a journey and, and, and a struggle where, you know, there were days that we thought things will never change. And there were days that we were like overwhelmed with the change. So what we did in the past 20 years in Afghanistan is, I, I believe, is a very important lesson for the rest of the world that, Yes, you know, communities, people start changing for the better, but it's also important for communities and for people to take the leadership and ownership of their own fate. And maybe this is something that's important for, 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 for us as Avons to take more responsibility for, for our country. At the same time, I also believe that, you know, it's not just the dreams and aspirations of Avon women and girls that's at stake. It's the whole international community, and this whole idea of international community, and the international human rights and women's rights mechanisms, and all the rhetoric that we have been hearing for the past 20 years. You know, we have been we have been awarded, we have been receiving. You know. Praises that oh we we were the champions, we were the you know courageous women and then when at when the time comes to stand by by the people and women of Afghanistan, we didn't have the that backup. So we very much hope that you know the there is a solidarity across the world. For Afghan women, not just that political correctedness, but also, uh, you know, the, the real solidarity with the women of Afghanistan, because it's not it's not just the women of Afghanistan that that are actually suffering. You know, as they say, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. This is something that I, I very much hope that the, the world would would start, uh, you know, feeling the importance of standing beside the women of Afghanistan who are fighting for their rights. You saw these girls fighting on the streets. So we need to to stand with all of them. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you both. And I also want to just say a final point that the international organizations operating in Afghanistan must ensure that they do not compromise on women's rights and women's access to services and respect and follow the same principles that they follow in their own countries. Thank you. And thank you all for staying here with us and listening. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.